Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altadan, and today we've got Mr. Josh Wilson in the studio with us. Good morning, Josh. Hey, good morning. I guess Brian's out. Gave him a day off. There you go. Give him a day off. <laughs> of course, Josh Wilson is the automatic transmission expert over at AGCO, so if you happen to have an automatic transmission call, today is a particularly good day to get it answered. That's right. Get them on in early. We always run out of time at the end of the show. That's right. So call in early, and we will be sure to get you right up to the top of the list. That way we can spend a little more time with you, give you a complete answer. We always hate to cut folks off at the end of the show, but that's just kind of what happens when we run out of time. That's right. And if we do run out of time, we don't get your question answered. You can always hit the website. That's right. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Just go to the contact bar, send me an email, and I'll get an answer right straight back to you, always within 24 hours and usually a whole lot faster. Hey, let's go to our phone lines with Herb. Good morning, Herb. Yes, sir. Dual-clutch transmission, are, what do you think about them, and are they overly expensive to repair or anything? And I just realized after reading the magazine article that I got one in my 2011 Taurus, so I'd just like the old opinion on them. They haven't seen a whole lot of it right now. I'm sure it will be plenty expensive to fix when they do have any kind of a problem. Uh-huh. Not enough age on them to have a good... Hadn't really been out long yeah. enough to see any problems with them yet. Generally, any kind of new technology like that, Herb, it's going to take three or four years before they start breaking. Mm-hmm. And that's when you can start seeing the true scoop on them. And like I said, those have only been out about that long, so we yep. just started yeah. to get it. Really hadn't seen any big problems with them so far. I believe some of the Europeans have used those in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more... On the lines of a standard transmission, built uh, light, as, yeah. as far as the internal components of it. Yeah, I was reading an article in a magazine about mm-hmm. them. It says it lines up one, the next shift will be lined up on one side, and then when you shift it, it'll go to it, and then line up the next shift on the side you just left or something like that. It's got right, two, it's, two it, sets of gears in there. It right. has two input shafts. The first one is going to be hollow, and then another input shaft running inside of it. And your converter will alternate input shafts okay so while you're in one gear you can actually apply the next gear and then just swap input shafts okay to make the transition yeah. i noticed and i've never used it till last year i went up in the ozarks and it was hunting you know up at about six speeds i guess and it up and down you know moving i just locked it into one that was yeah wouldn't yeah it wouldn't be quite as annoying to drive right right they're right. going to get real real busy and kind of uh me and lewis were actually kind of talking about that before the show these new transmissions with six and eight speeds your top end your overdrive is still pretty close to what they've always been yeah they just get real real busy between first and overdrive whatever your final drive primary goal with additional speeds is to keep engine rpm at a set range and the biggest reason for that is to optimize emissions. So the emissions yeah. can only be optimized over a very narrow range. Let's say they're set for 1,200 RPM. Well, if you go to 800 or if you go to 1,600, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be able to meet the test. So mm-hmm. with a CVT or an eight-speed transmission, you can hold the engine in that range for a longer period of miles per hour. But once the transmission has made its shifts, start getting highway speeds, it's done everything it's going to do. It's in overdrive. Then it has absolutely no effect whatsoever. So all that money you save on mileage, you, you lose. You're really not going to save anything. <laughs> You're going to just gain in emissions. It's going to be, I guess, a more emissions-friendly type of thing. You're really not going to gain a tremendous amount of mileage. Mm-hmm. And if it ever breaks, you're going to pay for it in spades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like any what, complex technology, it's just going to cost a lot to maintain and repair. All righty. Well, I just wanted to see what y'all thought about it. Hi, Mr. Herb. Thanks, sir. Thank you for calling, man. Bye-bye. Bye.
499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Tom on the line. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, guys. How you doing today? Doing great, sir. Good. Got a quick question you for you. Got a 2008 Nissan Rogue. Uh-huh. It's actually my son's car, and I picked it up for him last weekend to drive it to a transport company to drive it down here to Baton Rouge. Okay. Anyway, when I got in the car, put it in gear, drove, started driving off, and there was a clunking sound. I don't know how else to describe it. it sounded like if you had a like a bubble on your tire. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And as you were rolling, the faster you went, the more frequent it occurred. Yes, sir. Drove the car, checked everything out, didn't seem to find anything. Drove the car, got it up to highway speeds, and didn't notice it at all. Of course, it's probably turning too many, you know, too fast. Yeah, it just turns into like a vibration at that speed. Exactly. Yeah. As I slowed down, put applied the brakes, mm-hmm. slowed down. Then, of course, you you would feel it. And while I was applying the brakes, it seemed to be more pronounced than when I let off the brake. But it didn't quit when I let off the brake. It, mm-hmm. it kept making that noise. Yeah, Tom. So that that sounds no. That sounds like a tire, Tom. I would check all the tires very very closely and a lot of times you can't look at them and see it but that sounds almost like a separation or a flat spot or a bad spot in a tire a simple test you could do is just uh-huh. rotate them rotate okay. the tires front to rear and see if the noise changes it won't go away but if it changes if it gets okay. louder if it gets quieter because you're taking the amount of weight on the offending tire and you're either making it more or less depending on if it's front or rear but that will definitely change the noise. Also, okay. a indication, Tom, is if it's different on any different road surface. If it sounds slightly different on concrete and slightly different on blacktop, then you're almost surely into a tire because that's the only thing touching the road. If it's I exactly see. the same on every road surface, well, it could be something else. And, I mean, there are other things like a wheel bearing can make a noise like that. Something like a CV joint can make a noise like that. But those are pretty obscure, and when you're applying the brakes, what you're doing is you're loading the tire. The weight of the car is wanting to keep moving, and, of course, the tire is what's stopping the car. The brake is stopping the wheel, but the tire is stopping the car. So you're loading that tire considerably more. I would almost be surprised that wasn't a tire with some type of issue. Well, that sounds great. It sounds to me more like it's coming from the rear. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think it was transmission-related, but it, no, it doubt. shifted fine. Everything was, was good in that regard. Well, and, and see, if it were thing, t- transmission, Tom, it would change when it shifted gears. It would go up and down with the gears or go away right. when it went to a certain okay. gear or something. All right. Well, when I get it down here, I'll uh, definitely do that, rotate it, and check it and see what, what the deal is. Okay, right. Tom. Thanks, man. Appreciate the help. Yes, Thank sir. You. Bye-bye. 499-9526, the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Tim online. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. I have a 2005 Chevrolet Silverado, uh-huh. 4.8-liter engine with 124,000 miles on it. And the evaporator vent valve. Yes, sir. I've changed it out for the fifth time. Yeah. <laughs> That's very common, but Tim. But not the last time. Probably not the last time either. Oh, uh, are you buying those from Chevrolet or are you buying an aftermarket part? Well, the first two times it was changed out, Mm-hmm. It got it done at a dealership. Mm-hmm. The third time it changed out, had it done in a mechanic shop that we do mm-hmm. business with. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And the last two times, I've changed it out, and I put in a Delco part. Yeah, there's an updated part for that, and it is better than the original, although I'm not going to say it's going to fix the problem. But it comes with a piece of heater hose, or it doesn't come with it. You have to supply a piece of heater hose, and there's a different inlet vent. The original part had a little filter made onto it. The new part has a nozzle. So put a piece of heater hose with a clamp, and you relocate that vent upstream from there. And they claim that what's happening is that dirt is getting into it. Personally, I think it's just a CS part, and it just keeps on failing. I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many of them I've changed. And average life is about a year on them. They just keep going out, going out. I think it's just defective design. But there is an updated part. If you got the part that's got the hose with the clamp and all that, it may be better. I'm not going to say it's going to fix the problem, but. 
Another thing that I have heard a lot of people say, and I don't know if you do this or not, but I know I used to, when I would get gas, I hate stopping getting gas, so I would always top my tank off. I'd fill it up as full as I could get it. They claim that can also make it much worse because the gas can actually back up into that vent and that will destroy it. So first time that pump cuts off, quit putting gas in and see if it doesn't get better for you. Yes, sir. I did that about three valves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're not the only one complaining about it, Tim. And we go back with the latest and greatest GM part. We put the update on, and that seems to help. Every once in a while, you just get one, and that's it. It it fixes it. But you just got to get a good one, you know, and you're going to go through all your kiss a whole lot of frogs to get a prince, I can tell you. That's what I need to know. Yes, sir. All right, thank you. All right, Tim, thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Chuck on line. Good morning, Chuck. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. My father's 2003 Chevy pickup, V6, mm-hmm. a warning light came on, okay. and it said brake system. Okay. Didn't make any noise. Took it to mechanic, and he said, I don't have the tools to check it. But okay. if I, what I think is wrong, it's about a $2,000 fix. Wow. Takes uh, it to the dealership, mm-hmm. and the dealership says they can't find anything wrong with the brake system. Chuck, there's lots of things that will turn on a brake light on a later model truck like that. One of the more common is there's a little vacuum pump on a lot of them under the dash. You'd have to see not every one of them has it, but it'll be over kind of <laughs> by the brake booster. I know those little vacuum pumps go out a lot, and that sets a brake light. It's an auxiliary vacuum pump in case, I think, the engine dies. It maintains vacuum on the booster or some ridiculous stuff like that. I know that's one thing that does cause it. Uh, I can't see why they can't find it. I mean, it's pretty clear-cut stuff. It's the red brake light, not the yellow ABS light. You know, I don't know. Well, find out if it's the yellow ABS light or if it's the brake light because they had plenty of problem with both of them on those vehicles. If it's the yellow ABS light, one of the most common things is the module down on the frame rail will go out, and it'll kick that light on. But, again, I can't imagine they couldn't find that. It's pretty simple to find. On the red brake light, the things that it checks, of course, obviously it checks to make sure the parking brake's not applied. So if the switch on the parking brake goes bad, even though it's not applied, it'll think it is, and it'll kick it on. Many of them have a sensor in the master cylinder that looks for low fluid. That'll kick it on. And what happens is the little float that floats up and down can Mm -hmm. get brake fluid logged and sink to the bottom so that even though it's full of fluid, it thinks it's not, so it kicks the light on. Another is there is a part in the ABS module proportioning portion of it that when one side or the other of the system goes down, it'll kick that light on. And that, again, can malfunction but, again, I just can't see why a decent shop couldn't find any one of those. They're all pretty straightforward things, just you know, a matter I of going. That's the, the question I have. I thought anytime your trouble light came on, yeah. any one of them, that it put a code into the computer that they could pull up. Some do, some don't. But, again, okay. it's not that difficult to trace down. I mean, it's simple electronic theory. If the light's on, now I can say, hey, the light came on two weeks ago. It's not on now. Well, yeah, that'll give you a problem trying to find that because if it's not on, you may not ever find it. But if the light right. is remaining on, it shouldn't be a real big deal to find at all. Look okay. at the wiring diagram, see what sets that light, and then go check each one of those things manually. One of them is going to be applied. Sounds like me must be going to the wrong place. You need to find somebody who can diagnose I'll, that a little easier. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> all right. I all right, you, appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. 499-9526. Number of you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we'd love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We've got some time on our hands and plenty of free advice. That's right. <laughs> yeah, those Chevy pickups have got a number of things that can turn it on. That little vacuum pump, I don't know, they don't use that on every single model, but a lot of them do.
Right, and then the big question is going to be, is that the red brake light or the ABS light? Yeah, that's, that's going to send you different directions. Totally different directions. On the ABS light, we see those little modules go out quite a bit, and they are obscenely expensive from GM. I want to say close to 1000 bucks for that module, but you can have those rebuilt. We actually rebuild those in-house at Agco, and you can do it for about probably $350. So it's considerably less, comes with a longer warranty. I think the GM part comes with a year's warranty. We give a three-year warranty. So that's kind of an easy way to go with that. We also see a lot of the ABS sensors in the wheels go out, and also the connectors to those sensors will go out. And right. any of those will throw a yellow ABS light. Some of them are as simple as a short wiring harness, you know, mm-hmm. a short piece of the wire that goes bad, gets a hole rubbed in it, and mm-hmm. real, real easy fixes. Well, particularly if it's ever been worked on, if someone went in and did some work, and maybe when they put that harness back on, they didn't route it through all the little clips and connectors. All, yeah, you got to put all the little plastic clips. Every and single one. Back, they're, they're in there for a reason. <laughs> Isn't that the truth, boy? They sure don't put any extra parts on. No. But, yeah, that little wire kind of weaves its way around, and if it doesn't have every single one of those little clips and connectors, it's going to inevitably rub on something, and when it does, it's going to make a hole in it, and then you get a light. So That's right. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. My way, take the highway, that's the best. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Mr. Josh Wilson. Of course, Josh is the automatic transmission guru over at Agco, so... If you have an automatic transmission problem, be a good day to call in. Of course, if not, if you got any other kind of questions, you just give us a call. I'll try to muddle on through best I can. And we've got Bruce online. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Yes, sir. I uh, just caught bits and pieces of one of your first callers about an air conditioner and a GM pickup. I think that's what it was anyway. Uh, I don't remember a call about air conditioner. Not this morning. Not this morning anyway. But what you need to know, I can answer just about anything about that one. Oh, well, it, as usual, I misunderstood. <laughs> you having trouble with the air conditioner? Uh, no? no, not a bit. I thought it was, he said, like an 05 Chevy pickup, some kind of valve or something. You're no, he's talking about evaporative emissions on the back of the truck. That's part of the evaporative emissions by the gas tank that gives a lot of trouble. Oh, okay. Yes, uh, sir. Yes, sir. No, they really don't have a great deal of air conditioning problems with those. We're seeing... A few more evaporator cores on the later model trucks than we used to see on the old ones. The back, I guess, around 06 or 07 when they went to new body style, I've had to change a few of the evaporator cores in the, the newer body style. Now, in the old body style, I don't know that I've ever changed one of those cores. Okay, and now, that's a pretty big deal because you got to pull the dash out, but separate issue. Are you talking about a, a air conditioning? Yes, right? on air conditioning. Okay. Mm-hmm. All righty. Thank you, sir. Hi, Ms. Bruce. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Kevin online. Good morning, Kevin. How you doing, doing sir? Doing great, sir. 
I got a 1998 Infiniti Q45 air conditioner would blow cold off and on sometimes. So I added some R134A. Now it just blows hot. Yeah, on. that's probably the absolute worst thing you can do, Kevin, is to go in and just add refrigerant to it. Reason being, let's say the reason that it is blowing sometimes is that the condenser fan is not working, the head pressure is too high, so it's overpressured. You just dump more in there, you just blew the compressor off the engine and probably blew the evaporator core up. So that's the absolute worst thing you can do is to go in and add refrigerant to them. I know the TV commercials show you where you can do it and all that, but that is just absolute kiss of death. Probably the first thing you need to do is go to someone who knows what to do and have them draw the entire charge out and measure it and see where you stand. If you're overcharged, then they need to put the right amount of charge back in and then go to the diagnostic check of what's actually wrong with it. But what can happen if you overpressure that system by adding more, like I said, you can either blow the compressor off or some of them do have a high side cutoff. If the high side pressure gets too high, it'll shut it down. Hopefully that's all that's happened to yours. But the, okay, the first step, so you, there's no way to charge that unit without drawing it all out and measuring the charge and putting the right amount back in. You can't go by gauges and all stuff like you used to be able to on old cars. But get that done quick as you can, Kevin, because that can do an extreme amount of damage if it hadn't already. So just find a competent repair shop and have them draw out the charge, measure it, and then put the right amount back, then diagnose the actual problem. I definitely will, sir. All right, Kevin. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. I've got an article on the website, went on this morning, kind of along the same lines of Kevin's call, and it's about contaminating an air conditioner system. And that can happen without you knowing it because a lot of times if you go to a parts store or department store and you buy what you think is R134A, what it actually is R134A plus sealer or a lot of those even have other things mixed in with them. That's right. And then, I mean, the first thing any good shop is going to do is hook the identifier That's up to right. it. That's right. Identify the contents. And if it comes back with contaminants, then... Yeah, I had an article on my website, and I used the verbiage, the car is non-repairable. And a guy actually from Italy kind of called me to task on that. And I think he, I think he works for a company that makes this stop leak. So, but he says, this is not non-repairable. It can be repaired. I said, okay, let me send an email to EPA, and let me send an email to Recycle Machine. So... Anyway, come to find out, it can be done, but what it involves is you can't use a regular recycle machine. You have to have a recovery machine, which is a dedicated machine just to suck this contaminant out. You have to store the contaminant until you can dispose of it, and EPA limits the amount you can keep on hand. So I called a couple of waste processing sites that can get rid of this stuff, and some of them won't take less than 500 pounds. So if I suck two pounds out of your car, I can't keep it. I'm going to get charged for 500 pounds disposal. So not only that, but it has to be transported. It has to be sent out to a lab in many cases identified. So it's not that it can't be repaired. It's just going to cost you 10 grand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I changed the verb. You said it can only be repaired at outrageous expense. So I don't know if that made him happy or not. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's real trap to fall, uh, easy trap to fall into. It is. Just trying to buy a little bit more time to yeah. until you have the money to Almost fix it. And then anything you- that has a short-term ramification like putting a stop leak or putting this or putting that is going to have a hugely more expensive long-term ramification right and it just might put that vehicle out of the price range where you well that's right and that's all on top of the repair you still got to make the repair and like i wrote in the article if i had that happen to me what i do is call a product liability attorney and say hey you know i got a car here and i got this stuff from x mart or whatever and I'd be bringing suit against them. 
you know, for selling me a product that damaged my car. Well, that's right, but in the meantime, you you still riding around hot, <laughs> riding around hot, or or you have to get from point A to point B. Well, absolutely, I mean, and the, of course, the absolute best way, as it says in the article, is just avoid this happening, and you do that by dealing with reputable folks and making sure what they're putting in your car, and never ever add anything to your air conditioning system unless you know exactly what it is and exactly what you're doing. We're gonna go ahead and take a quick little break, Bobby. Hold on, you'll be straight up after this break. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flav's, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boo's off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for $500 and give them a lousy job. Listen to me and take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Josh Wilson. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We'll be glad to try to help you. And we got Bobby online. Good morning, Bobby. Hey, Louis. Yeah, hopefully, I got a simple question. Okay. Here. I just purchased a 39 foot fifth wheel. About 10,500 pounds, and uh-huh. I'm looking for a diesel to haul it with. Okay. If you could get, and it's, I want a used one, so if you could just give me some basics on what to look for, and if I do find one I like, no matter what kind it is, mm-hmm. is there any particular things like pressure at the injectors or stuff like that I should have checked? Well, Bobby, I'm going to tell you, the diesel of choice, in my experience, that everybody wants is a 7.3-liter Ford diesel. Now, the problem with that is they couldn't make it in 2002. So you get into buying a 2002 or older model, F250 or F350, to get one. Now, that was probably the ideal diesel as far as dependability and all that from what people are telling me. And if you start looking at those trucks, first thing you can notice is they go for an obscene price. I mean, those 2002 in decent shape, well, even with high mileage, is going to bring 20-plus. Everybody wants those. Yeah. The Ford that came after it, the 6-liter, was real problematic, and the 6-4 that came after that was real problematic, and the new 6-8 has a particulate filter on it, which has its own series of problems. On GM, the Duramax is an okay diesel. It really, they had some problems in early on, but I think they got most of those resolved by now. The Chrysler diesel, the older Cummings, was pretty bulletproof, pretty nice little unit. The newer one, again, has a particulate filter on it and that sort of stuff. So it has some quirks with that. So, I mean, I guess if you want it from a standpoint of reliability, simple design, ease of maintenance, a 2002 or earlier Ford would be your best bet. If you can't get that, I would probably go with either a Chrysler with the Cummings, the older Cummings, or a GM with Duramax. And I wouldn't want any of the real, real new ones because they just have, in my experience, way more trouble with the newer trucks than they have with the older trucks. And when I say newer, anything after about 07 or 08, uh, they start having a lot more trouble out of them. Okay, so number one choice, you'd say, be the 7.3 F1. If you can uh, find one. Those are real hard to find, and people don't let them go, man. 
they're available out there, but like you said, mm-hmm. they are. Oh, they they get a price for them, yeah. What would be a, a just a, if you could just help me out a little bit mileage wise on a used vehicle? Let's start with a two thousand two. Yeah, I don't really care Diesel too much are, about mileage. Kind of go right. They yeah, go I don't really care much about mileage because if it's got a lot of miles, it means it's been r- driven a lot, which is the best thing in the world for it. I would actually be scared of anything under probably about 150,000 miles. If you find a 2002 that's got 30,000 miles, I'd be scared of that because it's been sitting yeah, up a yeah, lot. I got you. That would scare the heck out of me. Yeah. If you could find one with 150, somewhere in there, I think you'd be real good. You probably got another 150 in it easily. So, I mean, I, I don't get real concerned about mileage. It means it's been driven. Same thing on the later models. Really higher mileage doesn't bother me much. I'd be more interested in seeing his maintenance records that he's had regular oil changes on it, what kind of oil he's been putting in it. And then, of course, I'd have somebody look it over just to make sure there's no problems with that particular unit, that nothing's happened to it. Is there anything, because I had somebody suggest to me that I should have the pressure of the injectors checked, no matter what I got. Not really so much of a problem. I mean, that's not going to really tell you if you got a bad injector or not, unless it just happens to be occurring at the time. Yeah, that's one thing you can check, but it's kind of like checking anything else. Unless I had an indication of a problem, I probably wouldn't go to the expense of doing that. I want to know more what kind of oil he's been putting in, how often he's been changing it, what kind of filters he's been using on it, what kind of maintenance it's gotten. And the 7.3, I'd want to make sure that someone hadn't put some kind of a chip or modification in it. If there's any kind of a modification to it, I would probably shy away from it. That's, that's what I was going to get at. It seems most people with a diesel, they're just dying to get a hold of some kind of a modification to put on it well they think they're gonna get better mileage more power and all that i know the epa just sued edge which is one of the companies that makes a kit that deletes the particulate filters on the big diesels and they're gonna put a whole lot of people out of business with that because a lot of people have been going out pulling those cats off those new trucks and putting these programmers in, and EPA just came down on them like a house of bricks i mean i think they sued them for half a million bucks and that's only a very small part of the settlement so, yeah, I would want something that had not been modified at all, had all the stock stuff in it, all the stock pieces. And anybody with a Ford scan tool can hook on to it and tell you if it's got a stock programmer and all in it. Another thing, you start putting a programmer like in a 7.3, and you're probably going to rip the transmission out of it pretty quick. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. You give it more power than this. Uh, That's design. right. Way, That's right. Well, way more torque than what it can handle. And, you know, it's really not going to gain anything. It's just going to cause you a lot of grief down the road. So I always want something that's stock. I don't want anything that somebody else has modified. Okay. All righty. Lewis, man, I, I appreciate the information. Okay, man. Bobby. Good luck to you, man. Y'all have a good day. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. bye 9526 the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we'd love to have you. And we've got Jim online. Good morning, Jim. Hey, Lewis. Good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, I've got a 2000 Lexus ES, mm-hmm. and I've had the battery checked, and it turned out okay. But when I turn the ignition on, it starts easily, no problem. But as soon as I put it into gear... It wants to die, and then I kind of race the motor a little bit, mm-hmm. and if I keep the accelerator pressed down slightly, yes, keep the RPMs up, mm-hmm. it'll go ahead and engage in gear, and then once I get it warmed up, it seems to be fine, but the next day, same problem. Yes, sir. There's a number of things that can cause that, Jim, but one of the most common is what they call the idle control valve or the idle control servo. And the way a fuel-injected engine actually idles is that it's got a little servo opens and closes to add air to the engine. And when it adds more air, the oxygen sensors say, hey, we're getting lean, so it adds more fuel and the engine speeds up. And it can do it in just a split second. But that's how it controls idle. It's in neutral or park. 
it's not very hard to idle because no load on it. So it idles okay. You drop it into gear, now you turn it into torque converter and all that. So the idle will naturally go down. And what this thing does when it sees that idle going down, it picks it right back up again. Now, when the engine is cold, it is less efficient to operate. So that's why it's going to die. Once it warms up, it does not need that function as much. So it can go ahead and kind of run. You ever notice how when it's cold, it idles faster than when it's hot? Right. That's because it's running less efficiently. Now, if you drop it into gear and it can't idle itself up, then it's going to die. Now, you put your foot on the gas pedal and give it some gas. All you're doing is kind of overriding and doing the job of the idle servo. But that's most of the time what the problem is. Now, if it's got a vacuum leak, it'll do kind of the same thing. And there are a few other things that can cause it to do that, but that's probably the most common. Check engine light and the VSC light is also on. Yes, sir. Well, you need to check those codes. It's probably failure to control idle or something like that. If it idles too low, it's going to throw that light on. And VSC is coming on with the check engine because it can't communicate once it's an active code in memory. Okay. Thank you so much. All right, Jim. Take care. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we'd love to have you. And we're going back to the lines with Herb. Good morning, Herb. Yes, sir. I called earlier, but this is a different feel. On that 7.3 board, uh-huh. which I wish I'd have kept mine, people used to have on that 99 foaming problem with the oil and the injectors cutting up. Um, I found that if you pull the top off that injector pump in the front, pull that little plug out and get you some kind of vacuum device and suck that oil out and put fresh oil in there when mm-hmm. you change it, because it don't drain out. It just kind of flows with that mm-hmm. chamber in there. I never had one moment's trouble out of none of that stuff. Yeah, and you know, 7.3 is a great engine in my opinion, but it was always real critical to oil. That's why they put 15 quarts in, because mm-hmm. that oil is not only lubricating the engine, but it's firing those injectors. And right. it's firing them at about 20,000 PSI, so that oil's doing a whole lot of work. I had a truck come in one time, and the guy had changed his oil and put 5W30 instead of 15W40 in it, and it wouldn't even run. He right. towed it in. It would not even run. Drain the oil out, put the right oil in it, cranked right up and ran fine. So it's pretty critical to have the right oil, have good, clean oil in it. And I'd be using a Motocraft filter and the 15W40 uh, Rotella yeah. or Delio or whatever brand you want to use, but a good brand of oil in it for sure. Yeah, I've drained that chamber every time I... Uh, Not a bad idea. Every time I change oil and mm-hmm. I run 1540 and mm-hmm. I run it 25,000 miles, which you don't agree with. No. <laughs> but I changed it five times in his life before mm-hmm. I traded it all. Yeah. So it worked. All right, right. Herb. That's my two cents. There you go, Herb. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. Why don't you go and give us a call? Uh, (laughs) Kind of took your oil Mm -hmm. conversation. Moving that over in the transmission field, it's extremely critical with what oils are out there now Mm -hmm. in your late model vehicles. They are actually manufactured with the friction modifiers. Mm -hmm. The computer knows what kind of oil is supposed to be in there and that all that is into the computer strategy with how much slippage is in the fluid mm-hmm. extremely critical to stick with the right amount of fluid and the right kind of fluid that's why we use original equipment fluids on just about everything that we use unless there's just happens to be something out that's even better than original equipment which is rare but you just about better off with almost every fluid in your vehicle to go back with the OEM fluid because you know at least it's going to meet the specs. Right. There's so many different fluids out, different manufacturers, different friction packages mm-hmm. in the fluids. I mean, there's it's just too much to keep up with. There's no one-fits-all. No, not at all. In that Not field. even a one-fits-many. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, they got to be, what, 25 or 30 different types of transmission fluid now? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I know we probably stock at least 20 or 25 of them, and we don't even work on European cars. No, I mean, we have 
what four or five different in stock for Ford. Yeah, just for Ford. Yeah, Toyota has two. Uh, Nissan has probably five. A I lot. Mean, just each manufacturer has different fluids for different mm-hmm. year models and transmissions. Yeah, even General Motors, who tends to be a little more conservative on that kind of stuff, they've got Dexron three, which fits everything from 06 back, and then you got Dexron six, which fits 06 up. And then, of course, if you got an Allison, they say you can put Dex six, but nah, I kind of like putting the Allison fluid in it. Um, That's right. Allison has their own. And matter of fact, when you buy your Allison, buy the vehicle, if you get the Transcend mm-hmm. fluid, you get a longer warranty. That's right. Costs more, but it is they expensive. will extend your warranty on it. I want to say that Transcend, the last time we put some, a fella brought a motor home in, and he wanted the actual fluid. And I said, well, I couldn't even find it anywhere. So he went and bought it somewhere. There's a place here in town that sells it. And I want to say he paid about $25 a quart for it. Probably, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was pretty expensive. And that, and that particular one, I think, held about 14 quarts. So, <laughs> do the math. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you know, what does that unit cost to replace? A lot more than that. Yeah, thousand. <laughs> Way up there. I mean, just as far as your maintenance goes, it, it is really important to use the proper fluids. Mm-hmm. That's far, far more important to get the right fluid in than some of those folks who say, well, I'm going to flush the unit and get all the fluid out. Because, number one, they're not even getting close to all the fluid out. In fact, I've done the math, and I don't think you get as much out doing a flush as you do just dropping the pan. But that's neither here nor there. What's more important is you put the right fluid in it because they go flush it and stick Dex 3 or something like that in a transmission that calls for ATF plus 4 or uh, Mercon 5 or whatever, and you've created a much, much bigger problem than if you just left it alone. Yeah, and if you were putting the even flushing it with the right fluid, Mm -hmm. I mean, the cost would just get so outrageous because you got to purge all the oil out of the machine Mm -hmm. and then fill it with the proper fluid well and it's only emptying one circuit out of several because if you ever look at a breakdown of transmission a good sized portion of the fluid is simply going through the pump through the filter through the pump and being dumped back in the pan through the bypass that's right because the pump is going to generate a whole lot more oil than it it can ever use so it just it hits the pressure regulator and dumps, dumps right off back a pan. It's pumping in a loop right there inside the transmission. That's so it's right. never going to get changed. Right. Another chunk of it is going out to the valve body, the clutches, and all that, where it's going to pretty much stay. Another one goes out to the cooler line. That's the one you're interrupting. So you're interrupting probably one out of several, and you're filtering that and you're dumping it right back in with the clean and the dirty. So you're sucking out a lot of clean fluid with the dirty fluid and in my estimation, I guess you'd say, you're probably changing about 25 or 30% of the fluid with a flush. When you drop that pan, you're probably getting closer to 40 to 50% of it. That's right. And if you've ever had the experience of watching a transmission run with the pan off, mm-hmm. you know, you could run a hose into a bucket and put it right where the filter goes to pick it up. Mm-hmm. You would see a little bit of dirty fluid dropping out, but mostly what you would see is clean fluid. Clean fluid returning. R- dumping into the pan. Yeah, so you just suck in the clean fluid right back out again. It's just, right. just basically totally ineffective. Many times maybe has the wrong fluid in it, and then they don't address the big issue, which is the filter. So never, right. ever transmission flush. Always a proper transmission service. We're going to take one more quick little break, but we'll be right back with more. Because the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it, but I can't keep on. 
watching with a big... Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know, I friended you. But please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen a color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan. Got Mr. Josh Wilson in the co-pilot seat today. Mr. Josh is, of course, a transmission expert over at Agco. So any problems you might have with an automatic transmission, today is the best day to call in. Get you an answer on anything you might want to know and anything else you want to know, too. That's right. If you don't get it in today, you can always hit Louis on the website. Right. Just send in your email, and he will get you put back usually within a day. Yeah, always within 24 hours, normally a lot sooner because I'm generally at the computer. I guess the only exception you sent to me after about 8.30 in the afternoon, you won't get it till <laughs> 6 o'clock next morning or 5 Go o'clock next early. morning. Well, some people call that early. I yeah. call that on time. I call that on time. <laughs> of course, getting up at 5 in the morning, some people call that early. I call that on time too, so That's you right. can't, can't really judge by me. <laughs> but yeah, just go ahead and give me a shout if anything occurs to you during the week. I'll be glad to try to get you an answer and help you out the best we can. We're going back to the lines with Curtis. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning. Yes, sir. Hey, I got an old one, Yukon XL, that had the power steering control box repaired on it. Okay. Probably maybe, I don't know, three or four weeks ago. And mm-hmm. then yesterday, the steering was making some noise, and I checked it, and the power steering fluid was low. I wasn't mm-hmm. quite sure what would cause that. Well, it's got to be a leak somewhere in it, Curtis. It, what year model vehicle is it? It's 01. 01 model. Does it have a rack and pinion or a steering gear, do you know? I think it's rack and pinion. Yeah, if it's rack and pinion, a lot of times what it'll do is it'll leak out of the end of the rack and pinion, and it actually leaks into those rubber boots. And those boots are on there to keep grit and grime out of the rack. They're not designed as a seal. There's actually a seal inside the rack. But what'll happen is that when the seal on the rack starts to leak, it leaks out and the boot catches it. So you don't actually see the leakage. Okay. What you have to do is take and cut that little clamp off that boot, pull it back, and it'll come gushing out, and that's where your leak is actually at. Now, I got to say, you know, if the – it sounds like maybe the pump was changed on it before. A lot of times when the pump is bad, it's because some type of contaminant or whatever has gotten into the system, and it's not unusual to see the rack go out not very long after that. I All mean, right. that is fairly common to see those fail – because, I mean, the same fluid has gone through both of them. Both of them have had exact same amount of pressure. They both turn the same exact number of times. So when one is bad, it's not unusual to see the other one go out. Okay. And then i got one more question. You I have a, um, an O2 Tahoe that mm-hmm. when I first get in the truck in the morning, if I turn the rear air on, it'll blow. And then as I drive or a little bit later, the, it's like the rear air is off. Is that just a, a switch that's gone bad? or Almost never. Connection? It quits blowing completely. Yeah, or does it off. blow and maybe you just don't like a diminished amount of air coming out? No, it just stops blowing all together. It stops blowing all together. 
That could be what they call the speed control module. It's a little module back there with resistors in it that makes the different speeds on it, and they're kind of bad about when they get hot, they'll open, and when it does, see, a switch rarely is going to work and not work. Either It's either going to work all the time or not work all the time. It's not going to usually work for a while and then go out. Okay. Uh, one other possibility, there's a relay back there, and every time it cycles that speed, it's got to click that relay, and the relay itself can go bad like that. It can get hot and cut out. Yeah, it's so, like first thing in the morning it'll work. Yeah, when it's cold. It's, it's something electrical yeah. that's cutting out. Most of the time, too, when you start to see those kind of problems, Curtis, it's because the blower motor is dragging and pulling too many amps and it's overheating something. So okay. the proper fix, the way we would do that at Agco, is we would put an amp meter on the blower motor first. And it right. should be pulling around 10 amps or less. If it's pulling 20 amps or 25 amps, then the blower motor is pulling too much. You just got to go upstream and see what it's damaged because it'll blow out that uh, blower control module or it'll blow out the relay or something like that if it starts pulling too many amps. Sometimes it just melts the connectors on it. And right. you know, when, just a good physical inspection will generally show all that. Now, when, when my air conditioner is working, like for the front part, uh-huh. uh, I've noticed particularly on hot days, you know, it'll be it'll blow cold, and then it seems like it, seems like it cycles where it's not quite as cold as it was, and then it'll come back cold. Is that just low on Freon? Probably not. That could be related to that rear problem. See, that rear okay. has got an expansion valve, whereas the front has an orifice tube. And if it doesn't get enough airflow through that rear core then what may happen is that the core may start to freeze up. That expansion valve may close off, which could affect the front unit. Okay. So I would get my problem in the rear with the blower resolved first before I went and spent any money on the front one. Okay. All hey, right? All right, man. Thanks for calling. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526, number if you want to be part of the automotive fire. It's one of those things I guess everybody kind of sort of wants to do, and it's kind of we've been programmed to think that way. Well, let's just put some more free on it. Right. And that is almost never the problem. That can do an extreme amount of damage. You can't just go and charge. I saw a commercial on TV the other day, and some goober on there, and his air conditioner's hot, and he goes, buys this little kit, and he squirts it in. And, of course, now it's nice and cold. And if that works out for you, hey, I'm glad. It's wonderful. But what I see way, way more often is now it's overcharged. you still got the original problem, plus you've created a second problem, and you may have made the second problem way, way, way worse you could take like a Toyota Camry. Let's say the condenser fan is not working properly. Well, now the head pressure is too high, so the high side switch is cutting the compressor off or it's just not cooling. Well, you go stick some more refrigerant, and the system may only hold a pound or a pound and a half refrigerant. You stick an extra 12 ounces, it's about 50% overcharged. Now you blow that compressor up, that's about $2,000. So now you got some big, big, big problems that you didn't have before. And when you don't have the wherewithal to draw all this out, measure the system, put the right amount in by volume, you're not going to charge it properly. You can't just add to it. That's the worst possible thing. And unfortunately, a lot of this stuff, sort of like the article on the website says, it's got all kinds of contaminants in it. So you can really, really, really cause yourself some tremendous problems by trying to charge the air conditioning when you don't know what's wrong with it. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. And all our folks who listen on the podcast, we really appreciate you listening and wish you would go to iTunes and give us a written rating. It really makes our day when we get that. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.